Pastor John here. Thanks for joining us. We're in 1 John 5 this week. Now, last week in part one of our message, we asked, what if there was a test to determine our eternal destiny? And in that message, we asked the first two of four questions. Today, we'll hear part two of the message, and we'll look at the third and fourth questions. Let's join the service and see what they are. I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. I read the chapter last week. I'm going to read it again just so you can keep the context and all this because it all has to hold together. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And in this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of, of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. I want to tell you about Mr. Quattro. I've mentioned him once or twice before. He was my science teacher in the 10th grade. So we followed into his class one time, and he said, we're going to do a test. And he had, he, I think I remember everything he had. There's some dish soap. There was 
some water, vinegar, baking soda, and, and he, he had all these stuff sitting on the desk in front of us. He said, now watch this. And so he combined them all together. And at some point, he, he, all he has left is the baking soda, which is diluted with some water. And he throws it in and the thing goes, and the volcano went, and we're all like, oh, what just happened? You know, because there didn't seem to be anything explosive in there. And he called it a test. And so last week we asked about tests, didn't we? He said, what if there was a test to determine your eternal destiny? And this is part two of what we started exploring last week in chapter five of 1 John. So when we say test, we, we, we think of that type of test where there's uh, a bunch of questions. You either get the, question, the answers right or you get them wrong. But I'm talking now about the type of test that Mr. Quattro did. It's a test that proves something to be true. That's the type of test we're looking at here. And as it turns out, there are tests that prove our destiny. Now, last week, we looked at the first two of four test questions, four tests that prove our salvation. The first one was whether or not we believe that we are born again. Uh, verses 1 through 5 tell us that if we believe Jesus is the Messiah, then we're born of God. It's all of us. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? If you do, then you are born of God. You are born again. You have a new life. He is our heavenly father. And he gives us his new and eternal life. And he makes us into new creatures and gives us new hearts. Of course, new hearts are in process. The second test asks if we believe that Jesus is the son of God. And if so, then we believe that he was a man as well. All the stuff that comes along with Jesus being the son of God, being the Messiah. Uh, so if we just believe that he's the son of God, that's good. But what comes along with it, he's a man as well. And he had to be both. Because in order to, be, uh, in order to forgive sins, he had to be God. In order to take our place and die as a substitute for us, he had to be a man. He's the only way that those sins can be paid for. And, and in that work, reconciliation is satisfied, made complete. We're reconciled back to God. And God's justice is satisfied. We'll talk about that in a little more. So as professed believers, our answers to these questions should be yes. And now they're simple questions. And we may not understand all the nuts and bolts we might not understand all the deeper doctrines. We might not fully understand everything about it, but we believe the basic premise. And we might not understand it. Just as in the 10th grade, I didn't understand why all those things made that volcano come out of, out of his desk. Just like, have anybody you ever had a problem with your car? God bless you if you didn't. We don't always understand how our car works. You know, we put gas in it, we turn the key or we press a button or something, it starts up and we put it in gear and we go. We don't understand how everything works, but we know that it does. This is how our belief works, brothers and sisters. If, if we know that we do these things and we profess them, then we believe. So today we're going to look at two more tests. Test number three, believing that Christ is the Son of God. This is part two of test number two. That'll be in verses 9 through 15. And test number four, believing that we are free of sin in verses 16 through 21. So let's take a look at believing that Christ is the Son of God, part two, starting with verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, 
The testimony of God is greater. Now, this is John's challenge. He's saying, who, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? You're going to trust other men, other people, or are you going to trust God? God? John says, God's testimony is greater, greater than any man's or any woman's testimony. So testimonies are a big thing in the church. You know, we all like to hear each other's testimony. Is that what John is talking about here? Is John hoping that God's going to give his, us his testimony on how he got saved? No, no, that's not what he wants. It's not what the word means. The, the King James Version uses the word witness here for testimony. But that doesn't really help us much. And if we take a look at the Greek word, it doesn't change the meaning of the Greek word, but it gives a little bit better understanding. It talks about someone who speaks or teaches with the type of authority that comes with complete knowledge. This is the type of testimony. This is what John talks of God's testimony. He's telling us of the things that God teaches that come from his infinite and complete knowledge, from his perfect knowledge. God is omniscient. It's a big word that means God knows everything. He knows everything that was, he knows everything that is, and the thing that will really blow your mind if you believe that God knows everything, and he does, is that he knows everything that will be. This is how he can write the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation. He knows how it's going to turn out. So God speaks with an authority that comes from perfect knowledge. And, and so, therefore, the things he says, the things that he teaches, the things that we read in his word are fully and completely informed by good and perfect truth. God has perfect knowledges, so, so what he teaches us is perfect. And it's far better than anything any human can teach. And John says in the second half of nine, for this is the testimony of God that is born concerning his son. What is the testimony? What is this perfect knowledge that we're talking about? Well, it starts with what we can read in his word that Jesus is his son. And so we can read that in his word. But you know what? We have something else that I think a lot of people overlook. We have an audible word as well. Now, we haven't heard it ourselves, but we have reliable witnesses that have heard an audible word. We find it in Matthew 13, when Jesus is baptized by John, he comes out of the water. Matthew 3, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Did you hear that? Jesus comes out of the water at the beginning of his ministry, and God says, this is my son. We need to let that soak in a little bit. Because it seemed like Jesus spent three and a half years trying to convince everybody that he was God's son. He didn't have to convince anybody of anything. God had already said it. And it doesn't get much more clear than that. In verse 10, back in, in John 1, 5, John says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So anyone who believes what God said has the same level of knowledge, the same perfect truth residing in him that God has uttered. And then John says, but whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. So those who reject the truth call God a liar. They're not saying, 
Oh, I just don't believe what the Bible says. They're saying when God spoke, he was lying. Wow. That had huge implications back then. And if we follow the narrative through the Gospels, we see that John's baptism of Christ uh, happened out by the Jordan. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were in the habit of keeping tabs on what was going on in their region. They had to make sure that they could keep the peace. Otherwise, the Romans would come in and remove everybody. So it's not like the Pharisees didn't know that God uttered this, this proclamation in, in, at, at the Jordan in front of John the Baptist. And when they say you're not a son, literally accuse him of being an illegitimate son, they're calling God a liar. When they call Christ a blasphemer, they're calling God a liar. False teachers, going back to John's theme in his letter, claiming that Christ was some kind of divine spirit and wasn't in the flesh and blood, were contradicting God, who was hovering over the baptism of Jesus' physical body, claiming that physical body was a son. So we have the eyewitness events of Matthew 13. We have the inspired writings of the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's something that it's easy to overlook, in, in particular when we get into tough passages. And by tough passages, I mean passages we don't necessarily agree with. You know, it, it, it's, it's not like we agree with everything, right? There are areas that are tough, and we go, gee, I don't know about that. And we forget that the Bible is inspired. That it's not just John sitting somewhere going, I think I'll write this and I think I'll write that. Or Paul, you know. And and so there's this mystical quality, the inspiration that God uses the personalities of the authors of the books um, and inspires them to write his words on a piece of, of parchment or on a scroll. We don't understand it completely, but... Every word in the Bible is inspired by God. And we don't have the option of going, well, gee, I don't agree with that. And God's sitting on his throne going, really? You know, are, are you calling me a liar? <laughs> so we've we, we got to be careful with this. The whole Bible is written by God. And rejecting that is calling God a liar. So what does God say? Verse 11. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Eternal life is found in Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way. There's no other way to eternal life. You believe some other religion, you believe you have some other faith, even if you're really, really, really sincere about it, you're wrong. Oh, that's not very inclusive. Right. That's not very tolerant, correct, okay? But it's not me, it's what the Bible says. Jesus said in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So back in in 1 John 5, John says in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, of course, John's talking about eternal life here. He's not talking about physical life. But there's more because believers don't have to wait for eternity to experience the blessings of God. Their faith in Jesus comes with an earthly promise in the gospel of John again, chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says that thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love this because I want a motorhome. And that's abundance to me. I'd like to have a motorhome and a boat to drag behind my motorhome. And, and maybe a nicer car too. And so I want that abundant life. And you know, there are plenty of guys, plenty of teachers that will teach you that that's what the abundant life is about. Having all this stuff. So belief in Christ brings an abundant life. And what we're talking about is a life filled with blessing and peace and joy. Not necessarily material things. That's not the goal. But the life that brings us a type of peace that allows us to sleep well. Even when we're having a hard time, sleep well, even knowing that God is on his throne and wants good things for us, regardless of how our situation looks. So the abundant life means a kind of joy that will usher you through times of grief and pain rather than deliver you from them. Now that should give us some comfort. That should give us some assurance And John kind of says so in verse 13 of uh, 1 John 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And again, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you have eternal life. And look what comes with this, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Oh, wait a minute. Here comes the, the motorhome again. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe I didn't get it in the previous verse. Maybe I'll get it now. Is that what John's talking about? Well, we, we know enough about Scripture. No, that's just not true. If we believe in him, if we pray according to his will, what this says is he'll hear us. He'll hear us. Now, that should give us some comfort and some assurance that God hears our requests. Now, does that mean that God is going to answer all of our prayers? Yes. Yes. God is going to answer our prayers. The question is whether or not God is going to answer our prayers the way we expect him to. No, no. Praying according to his will means praying for him. Listen, praying according to his will means praying for God to have his way, not for God to have our way. It means praying in such a manner that causes us to accept whatever answer God gives us, even if it's silence. 
Now, Jesus gave us a template for that type of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, he's with his disciples. They're in the garden. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and here's words that should change our lives, not as I will, but as you will. Now, we need to understand the situation completely. Jesus knew that he was about to be brutally tortured. He knew that his own people were going to turn on him and reject him. He knew that one of his closest friends was going to betray him and that they would try their best to murder him in a hideous and excruciatingly painful way. He knew that. And he asked his father in heaven if there was another way. A way to bypass all this. To spare him the pain. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was saying, Jesus is really going to hurt. I believe what Jesus was asking was for God to spare him the pain of taking on the sins of all mankind onto his shoulders. A perfect, spotless human being and he ended his prayer with not as I will but as you will we go back to first John and this is what John's trying to tell us in the next verse in verse 15 and if we know that he hears us it's a promise it's not a feeling we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If we know that he hears us, then we know that we have an answer. It's not about getting whatever we ask for. It's all about receiving whatever God gives us. And that's what happens when we pray in his will. So part one of our little mini-series here, which was test number two, believing that Christ is the Son of God, shows us that we're reconciled to God. And part two of test number two demonstrates that if we believe in him, we have eternal life. We have this relationship with God where he hears us, he understands us, he gives us maybe not what we want, but what we need. We believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. And so, so we've got to ask ourselves, I, I mean, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal It's an if then. And the only question is, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> well, we gotta talk about the doctrine and how we baptize and how we do this and how we do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. The question is whether or not you believe in Jesus. If you do, all the rest of it comes with it. So we've had three tests so far. If you believe in Jesus, then you are born of God. Test number one, you have new life. If you believe in Jesus, then you are reconciled to God. Test number two, part one. And if you believe in Jesus, test number three, part two of test number two, is then you have eternal life. Let's take a look at test number four. Believing that we are free of sin in verse 16 through 21. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death... He shall ask, 
And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Woo, boy. This is a tough passage, isn't it? it, it any of you guys read ahead? Wow, this, this made me nervous. Now we're just going to go through it carefully. What is a sin not leading to death? And of course, that causes us to ask the next question, which ones do? Now keep in mind, John's been talking about prayer. So the very first thing that we should see here is that we should be praying for brothers and sisters, other believers that have fallen into sin. And in this case, the, the sin that they've fallen into has to be observable. We have to be able to verify that it's a sin. It can't be, I think he's got a bad attitude. He's got, he's, he or she is doing something that is directly in contradiction to the word of God. And the response to that is condemnation and uh, ostracism and shunning and all that, right? The response to that is prayer. It's prayer. We should be praying for each other. Every Wednesday, we send out a little list of people that we can be praying for. Morton Bible Fellowship, the people that are struggling with issues in life, people that have health problems, people that have dreadful situations that they're encountering. And so we should be praying for them. If they fall into sin, we should be praying for them. But John seems to indicate here that there are two types of sin, doesn't he? Those that lead to death and those that do not. So can a believer commit a sin that leads to death? And a lot of people would ask that question. It's a scary thought. And, you know, the first thing I think is, what, what, what if I commit that sin? And what, what if I don't know what it is and I do it? Am I going to get to the gate and Peter going to go, I'm sorry, we took you off the list. You can't come in. And is it just temporal death or is it eternal? Will it be my body? Or will it be my spirit? Now, let's think about John's letter so far. We can't just lift this out of context and start making doctrine and theology out of it. John's been talking about false teachers. And all along the way, John gives believers assurance of their salvation, assurance of their eternal destiny. He's been doing it all along. Assurance of their eternal welfare of believers. He does it in chapter 1, verse 9. He does it in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and a few other places. So after all this assurance, is John now suggesting that I might mess it all up? That I might somehow dismantle all this and wind up with no assurance? I don't think that's what he's trying to say. See, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. We talked about that last week. And we see that in chapter 2 as well. He appeased God's wrath. He satisfied God's justice so that we didn't have to go through that. Either Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice or he didn't. Hebrews tell us he did. Hebrews 10.8, the author quotes Jesus at the beginning here. He says, Jesus said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then Jesus added, behold, I have come to do your will. Then the author goes on to say this. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the sacrifices of the Old Testament to establish the sacrifice that he makes. And that by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, talking about the Old Covenant, which can never take away sins. They, didn't, they were not effective. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That means the work was done. It was completed. Waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. And by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you see that? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when we say that when Jesus looks at us, he looks, when God looks at us, he looks through the lens of Christ and the work that Christ did on the cross. We are perfected and being perfected. It's complicated. It's not on the final. It's okay. So Jesus did all this. And in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us forever after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any offering because there's no need for it. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are forgiven. So Jesus died on the cross to cover all the sins of a believer, and belief in him grants us forgiveness for those sins. This is consistent with John's letter and consistent with the rest of scripture as well. And so, then it stands to reason, just reason with me for a second here, that the only sin that you can commit that is unforgivable is to reject consciously and deliberately, Jesus Christ. I don't want that. He made a sacrifice to cover all my sins. I'm not interested. Wow. Scripture tells us that, doesn't it? It tells us that obedience leads to life, and disobedience leads to death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And Paul goes on to explain that that the only way for those wages to be paid is to believe in Christ. He paid the wages of, of sin. So this is a type of death that comes from rejecting Christ, and it is eternal. Going back to 1 John, we see something very similar. There is sin that leads to death. They do not say that one should pray for that. You, now we should understand what John's saying. We should not pray for unbelievers to be forgiven for the sin of rejecting Christ. We can pray for God to have mercy on them. We can pray for God to reveal himself to them. We can pray for God to show his grace to them, to, to show his glory to them. But we can't say God forgive them because they rejected you. It's the unforgivable sin. It is the, the unpardonable sin. There's no mystery about what that is. You know, for years, somebody told me, I said, there's an unpardonable sin. I wish we knew what it was. 
You know, this is it. All of scripture tells us this. Verse 17, John says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Sin is sin. It's all an offense to God, except the sin of believers does not alter our eternal destiny. Well, let's just sin. Right? A quick study of the rest of Scripture will reveal that unless repented of, a believer's sin can cause us to walk outside the blessing, outside the protection of God. It can rob us of our joy. It can rob us of our peace. But it cannot rob us of our salvation. Sin of one who is confessed, repentant, and who believes in Christ does not lead to the type of eternal death that separates us from God for all eternity. That's what John's saying. Verse 18, he says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. And I want to take a deep dive into the tenses here uh, and and tell you that what, what he's trying to say here is we see that John's intention is to say that those born of God, those who are saved by him, will not continue to sin forever. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect today. It doesn't mean that if I commit a sin tomorrow, I'm no longer qualified to go to heaven. What it means is that there's a promise that there is the perfected work of Christ will manifest itself when we stand in glory. But, John says, he who was born of God, John referring to Jesus Christ, protects him, protects those who are born of God. The one who is born of God protects those who are born of God. And the evil one does not touch him. So we need to understand this as well because believers are preserved from Satan having an eternal effect on them. He can't. Yeah, we've got to look at the full concept of Scripture that shows us this. That believers can and will be afflicted, right? I mean, some of you know we go through tough times. Some of you are going through it right now. Believers can and will suffer. But Satan can do nothing to deprive us of our eternal home. Now, how do we know that that's true? How do we know that that we're assured? Verse 19, John comes back and gives us assurance again. We know that we are from God. The word from here indicates that God is our center. We have our origins. We have our presence. Our focus is on him. Our bodies are here in the world, but he is the anchor of our being. Unlike the world, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, John says. Those who are not God's children live and breathe under the influence and the impact of Satan and his schemes. Paul wraps everything up in his entire letter here, starting in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. And this, his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. And he says, God, you know, if you believe this, if you answer these test questions, because God's given you understanding. Oh, no, 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 no. I want to be in charge of that. But do you see the beauty of this? 
The mere fact that we understand who Christ is comes from God. I've said this a million times before. We can't mess this up because we haven't done anything. (laughs) We can't undo anything because we didn't make anything happen. We're not strong enough. We don't have enough authority. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough knowledge to undo what God does. Our understanding of who Christ is, if you say this morning, I believe in Jesus Christ, it's because God has given you understanding. That should draw us to our knees, shouting the glory of God. Thank you, God. I would never have done this on my own. I'm far too self-centered to be able to come up with something like this. And he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. I love this. They're like, John's, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, don't worship idols, right? <laughs> he says, don't look up to these guys, these false teachers. Don't fall for their false teaching. And most of all, don't allow them to make everything you do and everything that God does in your life about you. I mean, that's the ultimate idol. Don't, isn't that where we get our idols? I idolize this because it satisfies me. I idolize that because that's what I want. I idolize this person because I want to be like that person. And I imagine taking their place someday. Scripture says, a guy goes out to the woods and chops down a tree and he uses part of it for firewood and he carves other into an image and then he bows down and worships it. How senseless is that? They go, oh, that's dumb. I would never do that. I don't even have an ax. But we do that. We build idols. You know, maybe we're not chopping down trees and making images, but there are things that we long for that are not godly. John says at the end of all this false teaching and everything, don't do that. So he infers that these false teachers, those divisive troublemakers, they're sinning. And that there's a sin that leads to death. And that we are to pray for all sinners, but we are not to pray that those who reject Christ should be forgiven for rejecting him. Now listen carefully. It doesn't mean that we stop praying for these people. If you understand the whole of John's letter, you see that we should pray for them to come into the light, to, to start walking in the truth. And meanwhile, the sins we commit as believers will not lead to our death, to our destruction. We're preserved. We are protected in and through Christ and what he did on the cross, not what we do here. Do you understand that that means the pressure's off? We don't have to perform. We don't have to try to be perfect. We're not going to be. We're never going to reach a level of performance where God goes, gee, I'm really impressed. So we we don't have to. We are free. We are free from the sins that we've committed and the sins that we will commit. Now, I want to be careful with this because it means that if we do commit sins that we do not repent of, that there may be earthly consequences. I go, I'm free. I'm going to rob a bank. I could very well end up in jail. Going, I thought I was free. Oh, yeah, you're free, but now you're in jail. Okay, so we can't, we don't take this as 
what Paul calls license to do things we shouldn't be doing. But the consequences of sin, the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death, we're free from. Satan can't take it. We can't undo it. We don't have to worry about whether or not God's got some ledger somewhere that he's got little tick marks, and if we're out of balance when we die, that we're not going to get in through the gates. We're free. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. I love this. So those are our four tests in chapter 5. Test 1, believing we're born again. We have new life. Test 2, believing that Christ is the Son of God, part 1. That means that we're reconciled to God. Part two, that because we're reconciled to God, we now have eternal life. And test number four, believing that we are free of sin. So it's clear that we're not free from committing sin, but we're free from the consequences. We're free from condemnation. We're free from being separated from God. We still sin, but God has graciously given us the gift of repentance so that once we repent, it no longer hinders our relationship with him. So what if there was a test to determine our eternal destiny? There is. It's not an exam, though. It's not a quiz. It's proof. It's proof of where we're going to go for all eternity. If we repent from our sins, we believe in Christ. You know, when Mr. Quattro poured all that stuff into one vessel and then put the baking soda in that mixture, we were all astonished. We're all like, ah! All of us but Mr. Quattro. He wasn't surprised at all. You know why? He knew the truth. He knew that a particular combination of chemicals and ingredients would initiate an exact result. And I'll tell you something, back then as young students, we didn't completely understand exactly what was going on. We were amazed, mysterious. We didn't get all the nuts and bolts, but we did manage to learn that if we did the same thing, we would get the same result. Our belief in Christ is that particular combination of ingredients. We may not understand all the nuts and bolts, Not yet, there'll come a time when we do. But our Bible tells us that one simple act of believing Jesus Christ is the Son of God, followed by one more simple act, confessing our sins, will give us eternal life and eternal peace in an eternal kingdom with a gracious God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you For passages that seem vague and seem hard to to wade through, Father, but when we take our time and look in context, we can see with amazing clarity. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the very faith that we have in you because we know it all comes from you. We know we're not worthy of it. We pray, Father, if there's anybody here today that doesn't have that belief, that can't say, yes, I believe in the Son of God, you would reveal yourself to them in a spectacular way. Draw them to you, Father, and into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Next week, we'll be in 2 John. Um, and then the week after. Oh, 3 John. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate having you with us. And,